greatest miracle, you know, we've been taking a look at the miraculous events that have occurred in the book of Acts. And it seems like every chapter, something miraculous is happening, something supernatural is happening. But the greatest miracle that has ever occurred in the Bible is the miracle of the new birth. This is found in faith in Jesus Christ. We're talking about the gift of salvation, people coming to Christ, people being born again. Remember when Jesus encountered Nicodemus, and this Jewish ruler came to him by night. And Jesus came straight out with him and said, you must be born again. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. And so the call remains today that people must be born again. They must have a new spiritual birth to enter into the kingdom of God, to have a relationship with God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And Jesus is still the way to the Father. Now, we've been looking at Acts from the point of view of the supernatural. There are amazing and astounding miracles that occurred in the book of Acts. But again, I want to reiterate that the gift of salvation still remains the greatest of all the miraculous gifts. You all know my testimony. On a balmy night in Palm Springs, California at age 14, I stumbled into this makeshift coffee house. And there they were playing Christian music. This was in the, like I said, 1972. And then after the music was done, they came around and shared the gospel with us. This guy explained the gospel clearly to me, and I, I began to pray and confess my sins and actually began to, to, to weep and cry before the Lord. And I remember after I asked Christ to come into my life, I walked out of that little place, and I felt brand new. I felt like I'd been a changed person. It was like the old guy died, and I became a new person. I didn't know the Bible says, therefore, if any person be in Christ, they're a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things are brand new. And I also felt cleansed on the inside. I felt clean. That's exactly what happens in the new birth. God cleanses us from our sins. Well, in chapter 26, we see Paul once again giving his testimony of how he came to the Lord. And we've said that the best way to reach people for Christ is to tell others about what God has done for you, how he's answered prayer in your life, how he's blessed you, how he's encouraged you, how he's helped you. That's the best testimony. We don't want to take a Bible and slam people over the head and condemn them to hell. We want to share the love of Christ with them, right? We want to share the good news of the gospel. The gospel is good news. The world needs that good news in their life. They need that experience of joy and blessing and the promise of salvation. Well, here's Paul on his way to Damascus, and he's intent on incarcerating Christians. And Paul was involved in going after Christians who were what they called people of the way, and we've talked about that in previous messages. And they were trying to destroy or, or cut off this Christian message and this sect of a man named Jesus of Nazareth, who supposedly, they said, had raised, been raised from the dead. Truth is, Christ was and is raised from the dead. So Paul was intent on stopping this, this message of the gospel. And here he is on his way, and a brilliant light comes out of heaven. I don't believe this was the the, the light from the sun. I believe it was a supernatural light. And the light blinded Paul. And the power was so intense that everybody that was with Paul, and he had to be in a group of people, fell to the ground. They all just hit the ground. And then this voice began to speak. Now, Paul apparently saw Christ. The other people didn't. But they heard a voice, but they didn't know exactly what was being said. And as we just read, Jesus began to say, Paul, why are you persecuting me? See, it's interesting. When you persecute Christians, you're persecuting Christ, right? But when you bless Christians and help Christians, you're blessing Christ and you're helping the Lord. 
And so Jesus said, you're persecuting me, Paul, because you're doing harm to Christian believers. And Paul said, who are you? And he said, I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting, the one you've been attacking. And then the Lord commissioned him and said, I'm going to make you a minister to preach this good news of the gospel all around the known world. And I will protect you, my hand will be upon you, and I will bless you, Paul. But you will also suffer for my name's sake. And we've seen in the book of Acts how many times Paul has suffered for the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Bible says all those that live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So times in life, we, we suffer because we're believers. We suffer for righteousness' sake. Now, I remember when I felt the call to ministry, after I became a Christian there in Palm Springs, it wasn't too much later that I felt the Lord calling me to be a, a minister. Of course, it didn't happen immediately. A lot of times when God makes a promise in your life, it has a, a, a fulfillment that comes much later. And sometimes we think, well, where is it? Why isn't it happening? You know? But if God has spoken something into your life, he's, he will he bring it to pass, the Bible says. So I felt the call to ministry. And in fact, I felt the call to youth ministry, like a youth minister. And I thought, this coming revival that I believe is coming to the United States and around the world is going to be a youth movement. Every time God moves amongst people, Primarily, he, he touches young people. I don't know why that is exactly, but it's a wonderful thing because when you have someone who's young and excited about the Lord, they become a great witness to tell others about Christ. So God placed this call on me to be a minister, and I said a youth minister. Well, if this revival comes and a lot of young people come into the kingdom and we're able to minister to them, then again, I would be a youth minister, <laughs> ministering to youth, but not just youth, anybody that comes into the kingdom and is born again. And so Paul himself got the same call to be a minister. You know, people think, well, how do you become a preacher or a minister or a pastor? Is it something you just say, well, I think I'll just do that? No, it's a calling from God. Just like you were called into the kingdom to become a child of God, you're called to be a preacher or a minister or a pastor. And it's a calling that comes from God. So we don't choose that. God chooses us for, for, the, for his purposes. I came from a family of teachers. All my family were teachers. And I did teach, taught high school for years, but the calling was still there to a greater calling to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so God always brings to pass those things that he promises in our life, but we must wait upon him. So here Paul meets the risen Christ, and he goes instantly from persecutor to believer. Isn't that interesting? Here he's persecuting Christians, now he's a believer in the one's that he was persecuting and the ones that worship the one he was persecuting. And Jesus speaks to Paul concerning his mission and his calling. Now, let's go back to verse 18 of chapter 26, because this is what I want to hone in on today. The, Jesus said, I, I've called you to open the eyes, open their eyes, in order to turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. And this is what I want to take a look at. We want to look at a scriptural point of view of the miracle of salvation. And, you know, some people think, if I just go to church, I'll be, I'm a Christian. Or because I live in America, I'm a Christian. Or I own a Bible, that makes me a Christian. But going to McDonald's doesn't make you a hamburger. You must be born again. You must have a relationship with God through faith. And so we're not talking about being religious here. We're talking about coming into relationship with God through the, the working and the power and the love of Jesus in our lives. It all comes back to Jesus, his life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection. And that's what we preach. Amen. 
the Bible says we turn from darkness to light. And so the world in, its, in itself is in darkness. They may not realize that, but the world is covered in darkness and under the deception of the evil one, of Satan himself. And we know that Satan is a fallen angel. His name once was Lucifer, and he was at a high place in heaven, perhaps the, the head of worship in heaven. And he had a place of high prominence. And this angelic being, who was created by God, desired to be like God. He said, I will be like the Most High. And God said, no, you won't. And he cast him out of heaven. And Jesus said, I saw Satan fall from heaven as lightning strikes the earth. And so Satan was cast out of heaven. And he was so powerful that he was able to convince a third of the angels to go with him. So it shows the kind of power that Satan has over people and things. And a third of the angels left heaven with Lucifer, who became Satan, and was cast down to the earth. And those angelic beings became what we call demonic entities or demons. And their influence is evil. And their main purpose is to keep people from coming to God. And you'd be amazed at the strategy and the schemes that these angelic demonic beings, they once were angels, now they're demons, use to keep people from coming to the gospel, to coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And so a lot of circumstances happen in life because there is demonic influence keeping people from hearing the good news of the gospel. I mean, a life can be totally changed by asking Christ to come into their life. And these demonic entities are keeping people from the gospel. Satan is described as the prince of the power of the air. That's an interesting thought. Satan certainly has power, and he yields that power in the earth. And he dwells in the atmosphere. But remember, he's an invisible, these are invisible beings. You can't see them. Although I remember one time I was coaching basketball, 10th grade basketball, and we were getting killed. It was like we were losing by like 40 points or something. And I was in the locker room trying to, come on, you know, we can do this. And there was this one kid that was always giving me trouble. And he was just, you know, had problems. So kind of an unruly kid, but pretty good athlete, actually. And I remember I'm talking to the guys, and all of a sudden I kind of look out of the corner of my eye, and I see this demonic entity on his face, over his face. It, it looked like kind of a monster thing. And I went, <gasps> you know, and, and then it was just gone like that. And it, but then I thought it doesn't surprise me because this kid was operating under some kind of weird, you know, power that was not normal and it wasn't healthy and it wasn't good. And so these demonic spirits exist, but you just can't see them. But every now and then God lets us look into that supernatural world to see what's out there. Uh, and thank goodness we can't see in there too often because it would probably freak us out, right? Uh, but there was one story in the Bible where the prophet said that, that we are protected, that God's uh, protection is around us. And the servant, his servant said, well, I don't see that. I see the armies, the armies coming against us and attacking us. And then the prophet said, open his eyes. And he looked out and around, on the, around the outside of the, these armies that, that they were coming against them were the army of God in, in the horsemen in their chariots uh, in fire. So there are times when we get to see into that realm and see what's happening. But the Bible says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against spiritual powers, spiritual wickedness in the heavenly places. So much of life is, is a battle. It's a conflict 
between good and evil. And a lot of people think, well, the earth is, this life is just here, to, we're here just to work and to play and have fun. And, but really, it's more of a war that we're involved in, a spiritual war. It's interesting that even I was listening to the Prime Minister of Israel this morning, and he was saying that Israel, by the militant Islamic world, like ISIS and those kind of people, they describe Israel as little Satan, and they describe America as the great Satan. So there we see that spiritual activity happening and warfare going on. And, but it's amazing to me how closely aligned Israel and the United States are. So similar. And yet we see Israel all the time coming under attack and criticism for defending themselves as their right to exist as a, as a, as a nation. We should pray for the peace of Jerusalem, the Bible says. Because in these end times, it's going to come down to that little piece of real estate and there'll be a fight, a war over that place called Israel. And God said he'll defend his people. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Just go over a couple books to the right. And let's take a look at this prince of the power of the air. Now some people go, oh, you just I don't even believe what you're talking about. This is ridiculous. Demons and angels. And some people think that, you know, they, they, they get a kick out of it. Like in Halloween, and you got Satan with a pitchfork and a, a red mask and, you know, a tail. And it's all kind of a joke, right? But the truth of the matter is these spiritual entities exist. They are real. And, uh, and they are intent on harming people. They, they, they don't have good intentions, this demonic, these demonic personalities. And they yield power. We said the Bible, I mean, our message is turning from the power of Satan to the power of God or to God. So they certainly have power. Satan has power in the earth. The Bible says he is the God of this world. If you go back to the Garden of Eden... Adam and Eve, there they were. They were in a state of innocence, and they had everything that they could desire. But Satan came in the garden and deceived Eve into partaking of the forbidden fruit. There was just one fruit they were forbidden to partake of, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the Lord had said, the, the day you partake of that, you'll die. And Satan said, oh, to Eve, you won't die your eyes will be open and you'll be like God. And under this deception, she took of the fruit. She was deceived, thinking that it would be a good thing for her. And then after she partook, Adam did the same. He did it knowingly. Willing, I mean, he, was, he had knowledge that it was not the right thing to do, but he did it anyway. And so they partook of the fruit and they fell into sin. And they realized they were naked and they went and hid themselves. And the Bible says God was walking in the cool of the garden and he said, Adam, where are you? And Adam was, was shamed by the sin that had come on him. And the glory that was upon him, that he was created in the image of God, was stripped away from him and he spiritually fell and, and fell into sin and died spiritually. Did he die physically right there? No. He went on to live almost, what, 900 years, I think. But that seed of sin entered into their DNA, which would bring about spiritual death and ultimately physical death. And when Satan tricked Eve, the authority that Adam had to have dominion in the earth, he was the ruler of the earth. God let him rule the earth. I mean, he named all the animals. That's pretty cool. And he must have been incredibly intelligent. That authority was taken from Adam when he fell into sin and Eve, and it was given to the devil serpent. And at that point, Satan now became the god of this world. 
it was Adam, but now it became Satan who took over the, the rulership of this planet. And so the Bible says he is the God of this world. And that's how he gained that authority. He gained it from Adam and Eve through deception and disobedience. For one man's disobedience, sin entered the world. And that sin has been passed on from generation to generation to generation. And, you know, people talk about, well, what is sin? Sin is just missing the mark. In the Greek era, when they did archery, they had, you know, you try to shoot your arrow into the bullseye, right? And if you missed the bullseye, depending on how close you were, they would say sin one, sin two, sin three, from the bullseye. The bullseye is perfect righteousness, holiness, without flaw, without sin. And the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so there is none righteous, no, not one. Only God himself is righteous. So nobody can hit the bullseye, right? But we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God, the Bible says. And so sin has come upon the human race. But the good news is, through Jesus Christ, that sin can be redeemed. That sin can be forgiven. And there is salvation available through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Praise God. Now let's look at Ephesians very quickly. Chapter 2. And you, verse 1, he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. So before we came to Christ, we were dead in our sins and trespasses. In which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Of course, this is the spirit of Satan. Among whom also we once conducted ourselves in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as others. But God, look at verse 4, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Praise God. So here we see that we were dead in sins, we were lost, and when we opened our heart to Christ, like on that balmy night in Palm Springs when I prayed, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me for my sins. Through an action of faith, the Bible says God raised us up to sit with him in heavenly places. So Christians are in the highest place in earth. We are in the heavenly realm. We are here on this earth, but we also dwell in Christ in the heavenly realm. And we've been raised up, and we received the life of God. The Bible says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. But as many as received him to them, he gave the right, the power, the privilege to become children of God through the work of faith. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man boast. So grace is a free gift. There are a lot of people today who, you know, I'll give, but I want back. I'll scratch your back, you scratch mine. You know, that's how the world operates a lot. You do a favor for me, I'll do a favor for you. If you do me harm, I'll do you harm, you know, revenge. But God's gift of salvation is free, no strings attached. You don't work for it, you don't deserve it, you don't have to do anything but receive it by faith. The just shall live by their faith. And faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. As the word of God is preached, faith comes. And people receive Christ through the action and work of grace and faith. And so now... There's a, there's a new entrance to God that was closed off in the Garden of Eden. Adam's relationship with God was separated. He was separated from God. But that relationship was redeemed through the cross of Jesus. 
And by his death, the gap was closed once again and, and people could have access to God through Jesus. The greatest miracle in life is receiving Jesus Christ into your life. There's no doubt about it. Now, let's turn over to 2 Corinthians. Go back to the left. Chapter 4, verse 3. 2 Corinthians comes right after Romans. Actually, it comes right after 1 Corinthians. Chapter 4, verse 3. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. You know, a lot of people say, I don't need God in my life. I don't need to go to church. I don't need the Bible. I can just live my life and enjoy life without having to be a Christian, without having to be a believer. So the gospel in many ways is veiled, means it's, it's not revealed to people. And the reason it's veiled is because of verse number four. Listen to this. Whose minds the God, now notice, where does, where does, where does the veiling occur? Where is the, where is the work? It's done in the mind of a person, Right? And so what, in their mind, they think, well, I don't, I don't know if God exists or not. I'm, I'm an agnostic, you know, or I might even be an atheist. If, if, if God shows up, then I'll believe in him, but I'm not sure. And, and, you know, science teaches we evolved from, you know, one cell amoebas. And so, you know, I don't even know if there is a God or how we got here. And these kind of philosophies and ideologies go through people's minds, and it gives them an excuse not to believe in God and to say, well, there is no God. The Bible says the fool has said in his heart there is no God. The Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God. And God is self-evident, but people are under deception to not believe in God and, to, and believe in Christ. So verse 4, the God of this age has blinded those who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel, there's the light, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. So Satan blinds people, from the light of the gospel. But God is greater than Satan. And he still allows the gospel to be preached. And the anointing of the Holy Spirit is there. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit with power. And he went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. For God was with him. And it still happens today. The preaching of the gospel goes forth over the radio, over the television, over the internet, in churches all around the world. And the gospel is being preached and people still are coming to Christ against the will of Satan, right? And the desire of Satan. And people are opening their heart to the Lord. And when they do, great blessing comes into their life. Their life turns around. And once they were in darkness, now they're in light. But Satan is the one deceiving people from coming to that knowledge. Let's turn to Colossians chapter 1. Go to the right, a couple books. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. And let's look at chapter 1, verse number 12 giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. Boy, I love that. As believers, we've been released from Satan's power or his authority over us. As a Christian, Satan has no authority over you. He can intimidate you. He, he can attack you to some degree, but he has no authority over you, no power over you. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. The greater one, Christ in you, is stronger than Satan. So believers don't need to fear Satan, but he still brings evil influences in our life on occasion to come against us, to, to bring harm to us, to bring sickness into our life, or some kind of harm, some kind of persecution, some kind of trial that many times the enemy is involved in. And sometimes we just think, oh, it's just life, it's a circumstance, and we don't realize that there's a demonic power that's influencing our life in a negative way. It can influence our emotions, you know, our state of being, and one of the greatest weapons of the enemy is discouragement, trying to discourage us in our lives, right? 
but the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. We have access to our spiritual inheritance. You know, you can't receive an inheritance from your parents until they die. If there's a will that's written in a family, when the parents have died, that will states clearly and legally that the properties and the monies and whatever they have to be given to their children, right, as an inheritance. Yeah, Corey and I were talking about this. And the will doesn't, the contract or the will itself doesn't go into effect until the person dies. Well, Jesus died. And Jesus is the possessor of all things. As we're going to read here, he created heaven and earth. And he possesses all things. And in Christ, we are inheritors of that possession. So that when Christ died, that inheritance was instated, was, was legally active. So that when you come to Christ and you're born again, now you're an inheritor of all things. You are a possessor of heaven and earth. <laughs> That's a good one, Donald Trump. We own it all. Now, you might say, well, I don't, I don't own it all. I drive a beat-up VW. But in the spiritual realm, you own it all. And you possess all. And the Bible says we can possess our possessions even in this life. And that we can gain substance in this life, material blessing, because we possess all. When God, when Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek, the title was unto the Lord, possessor of heaven and earth. I believe that he was tying Abraham into that same quotation that Abraham now, you're a possessor of heaven and earth because you are an inheritor of the things of God. Through the gifting and working of faith, we have inherited all things. So we have an inheritance right now. And we can write spiritual checks in heaven. <laughs> and we can claim the promises of God to be active and functional in our life. We can sow doubt, you go in Jesus' name. Fear, you go in the name of the Lord. Discouragement, you go in Jesus' name. Blessing comes my way. As we confess every day, every time we come to preach, that God's blessing is upon us. That we have favor with God and with men. And you can confess that over your life. And that God wants to favor you and bless your life. Praise God. That's a pretty good deal. The Bible says, through faith in Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles. So Abraham's blessing is your blessing and my blessing in Christ. And Abraham was blessed in all facets of life. God made Abraham rich to establish his covenant. And so God blessed him in the financial realm, in the material realm, but he also blessed him in, in the spiritual realm. And he was blessed in all things because he believed. That's all. Right? Just faith. Faith is powerful. Faith, Jesus said, moves mountains. Now look at verse 13. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed, that word conveyed should, is translated the word transferred, us into the kingdom of the son of his love. So we have been delivered out of darkness from the power of darkness, and we have been translated or transferred into the kingdom of the Son of His love. The Bible says in Ephesians 1.3, we have been blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Every spiritual blessing that exists in the universe is ours in Christ, and we possess that. If we could just get a hold of what we possess in Christ and what we have in Christ, we could walk in such continual victory and power in our lives. But we get under deception. We don't see the light. We don't see what we possess in him. 
and what we've obtained through salvation. The Bible says that we have been sanctified. That word sanctified means, and this is what I love, it's to be made holy or to be made righteous. So a lot of people think Christians are trying to be holy, you know, holier than thou and try to be holy. The Bible says you already are holy in him. You've already been made holy. You don't have to try to act holy. You already are it. Now, that holiness is on the inside of you. It's in the new creation. It's the, it's the new person in Christ. And that, the Bible says, that new man was made in the image of God. So you look like God if you're a Christian on the inside. You have that, his nature, his righteousness, his holiness dwelling on the inside of you. And it can't get any better. It's perfect before God. You say, but I still sin. I still do things wrong. Right. Because we're not, we're not just that. We're also, we have a soul which is the mind, will, and emotions. And that part of us is being sanctified or being redeemed, being made holy through life's experiences and through the word of God. That is, God is, that is the saving of our soul. But our spirits have already been saved in Christ. And then you have a physical body, which the Bible calls the flesh. And that is the remnant that's left over from the new creation. And yes, that part of you still sins. And nobody will ever get perfect only Jesus was perfect. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But we are to be sanctified in life through the washing and working of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, and we are being made into His image. So we are being saved on a continual basis. But the inner man, the new man, the spiritual part of you has been fully redeemed, fully saved, and fully holy. So the key, Paul said, learn to walk in the new man. Walk in newness of life. Don't lean on the old, walk in the new. You say, how do I do that? You do it through faith. Well, how do I get faith? Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. You need spiritual food. That's why we have the Bible here. It's spiritual sustenance. It's spiritual life. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes forth from the mouth of God, Jesus said. You gotta have the word of God. You can't really separate the word of God from Jesus. He is the word of God. This is the written scripture, but Jesus is the logos, the logos, He is the word of God. In the beginning, God said, there it is. There's the logos, the word speaking, right? We need the word in our life because it brings strength to the inner man, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. So when we hear the word today, we are strengthening our spiritual man, our spiritual person, and getting strong in the things of God. And hopefully you'll walk out today and say, you know what, I believe God now. I've got more faith. I'm going to pray stronger. And I'll take more authority over my life and the things that are coming against me. And I'm not going to listen to the whispering of Satan and his lies and deceptions, but I'm going to stand on the word of God. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall never pass away, the Bible says. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God remains forever. That's why we preach this word. Now, a lot of churches preach other things, but you got to stay on the word of God because that word brings life to people and brings salvation. Very quickly, we're going to close here. So we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. We've been sanctified and made holy. We don't have to try to be holy. We've already been made holy in Christ, as we mentioned. Well, going back to 26, Acts 26, verse 28. Let's flip back over there. Back to our story about Paul. He's given this wonderful testimony. He's, he's testifying before the king, King Agrippa. 
you know, he's been with the first governor, Felix the cat, and then the next governor, Festus. Now he's, now he's preaching to the king, Agrippa, who was a Roman, but he was well-versed in Judaism. In fact, he, he practiced Judaism. And he understood the scriptures. And Paul per, was, was defending the gospel and conveying him to the truth of the word of God that the, that the, the, the scriptures said that the Old Testament prophets, what they proclaimed about the coming of the Messiah was personified in the person of Jesus. That Jesus was the fulfillment of this Messiah that was supposed to come at a, at a later date. And all the prophets in the Old Testament prophesied about this Messiah coming. The Son of God being manifested. And so... King Agrippa knew about this because he knew what the Old Testament scriptures said. And the promise really was that they would be inheritors of the world. Abraham, I'll make your name great. I'll bless you. Those that bless you, I'll bless. Those that curse you, I'll curse. And out of you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And I'll make a great nation out of you. And your name will be great. You will possess all things. Possessor of heaven and earth. That was the promise, and it was made to Christ. So the Bible says we, as we come to Christ, as we come to Jesus, we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. So whatever Christ possesses, we possess. We've received that inheritance as joint heirs. In verse 28, we'll see that King Agrippa says, Paul, you almost persuaded me to be a Christian. I mean, that was very persuasive, and I almost came to Christ. That's one of the saddest verses in the Bible. Here was this king, all the pomp and circumstance and all the, you know, royalty, but the message was clear, and he was so close to coming to Christ, to opening his heart to the Lord. You almost persuaded me, Paul. You know, we are to persuade people to come into the kingdom. And then Chapter 26 closes with this. Then Agrippa said to Festus, this man might have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. So here we see the providence of God once again. The king was about ready to let him go free. Paul has been in jail for two years now in Caesarea, and the Romans are going to let him go, except that Paul said, I want to go to Rome. I want to I appeal to Caesar. And he said, because he made that appeal to Caesar, he shall go. And so in chapter 27, we're going to see Paul making his way to Rome to testify before Caesar. Caesar. <laughs> 